number 16 while we're here. And today I'm talking to Greg Wooten, who is a really interesting man. And I just want to jump into it straight away because there are so many interesting topics we talk about today. We cover fighting, we cover masculinity, mental health, the conversation which I enjoyed. And I really hope that you will too. So I'm here with Greg Whitten, and we're sitting in a really lovely room in Victoria. It's this epic co-working space with a training facility here as well. Um, how would you describe yourself in your work? Like, I, I, I don't want to introduce you for you. So, um, so I'd say. I'm a, currently, I'm mostly, I'm, per, I'm a personal trainer and coach. Um, and I work, I also run some corporate workshops. So I've created a company with a friend of mine. But those, those are the tools and the skill set I have at the moment. And with them, I basically just enjoy um, doing what I'm passionate, which is exercise and fitness and health and improving other people's lives. And with my corporate workshop things that's been going, that's been great just to go into a different environment and connect with people who live different lives but we kind of both all have the same we're all humans and it's the same mm-hmm. thing about feeling better getting better energy levels and feeling fitter and healthier and better to take on the life challenges so yeah. um yeah my, that's that's main, mainly what i do day to day but um i'm still trying to acquire new skills and, and branch out of that and and see what well i'm open to whatever comes next really that's really cool it's funny when you were talking about the fact that, you know, with your corporate stuff, you work with people who are quite different to you, but you find that common ground. It made me think about a, a fiction book that I'm reading and they call, um, they call death the great level up because everyone's uh, the same when they die. And it made me think of exercise and sweat as a great level up. Yeah, you know, man. once you're sweating and doing something, actually, you know, your background isn't, isn't relevant necessarily because yeah, yeah. it's a kind of physical pursuit. Yeah. Um, we used to have that in the Thai boxing gym. Like that was one of the most fantastic things I found when I first started training as a, as a, as a young teenager, I used to train alongside doctors and lawyers yeah. and then laborers and builders and gangsters and drug dealers and all, all kinds of people, police. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's just a level of man. It doesn't matter who, who you are when you, you step on the on the dojo mats, mm. and so that's that's an interesting kind of flag for me because I know you predominantly from um, social media due to um, your Mai Tai activities, um, which I suppose is kind of part of your history. Mm. Um, I don't know how you identify that now. I suppose I know that you and you're not fighting at the moment, but I don't really know kind of how that's come about or anything. So yeah, I don't know how, how you kind of relate to that at the moment. Um, well, I, <clears throat> while I was fighting and I fought from about 15 to 20, or no, 16 to 25, 26. So about 10 years of, of professional fighting. But along, along the way, I was also um, at university studying sports science and on the psychology modules, I remember... Um, one of my lecturers 
was worked in burnout and um, overtraining. And mm. she did a lot of work with ex-Olympic athletes who'd won, won gold medals and accomplished their dreams, but were suffering from depression and, and suffering from making that adjustment. So very early on, before I was even very good or any good at all, um, I was aware that the dangers of having your identity intertwined so much with a sport and mm. how like something sport will leave you and you will leave you eventually like you'll give it up eventually or could it be end of your career could it end at any moment so I was aware of that from the start um but nonetheless I think to, to excel at anything it really needs to take over like or not take over but it needs to be what you do most of every day and think about every day and uh, become obsessed by it to a certain extent so that definitely happened and it definitely did become part of my identity but I still don't view myself um, in within that lens in that sense of like as a tie boxer or I still that's probably says some deeper psychological stuff going on but thinking talking about myself as a world champion still feels slightly uncomfortable like mm. and like I did those things but I would say I would always diminish those achievements be like yeah but I blah 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 blah. oh yeah. you won a world title yeah but the guy I took it at last minute blah 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 the guy was like yeah but so okay <laughs> um so now I'd say like yeah I try and uh try not to be defined by, by what I did yeah and I um keep open-minded to to what's coming next and stuff mm. and I suppose there's an interesting dynamic there in terms of how we choose to identify ourselves and the power with which we have to talk back against the narratives people create for us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I came to the conversation open-minded, hoping to talk to the Greg of today, you know, mm -hmm. but um, I could imagine somebody who, you know, knows, you know, knows your history and would kind of put certain labels on you. Um, and yet you might say, well, actually those, those labels aren't so useful for me right now. Mm -hmm. Um, it made me think of, uh, I was talking to a friend the other day about US presidents and, um, he was saying, oh yeah, once you're a US president, you're always a US president. So people all, will always refer to you as like, you know, Mr. President. And, um, I wonder how that links to being a world champion. Do you kind of permanently remain a world champion or, or is it a fleeting thing that, you know, for only the time you hold that belt? Good question. I think um, it very much just depends on the person and maybe to the extent of what a world champion were. So within, within Muay Thai and Thai boxing, um, there's a lot of different governing bodies and affiliations you can win a world title with. So there's probably quite a lot of world champions, which kind of waters down the value. Um, so I, I personally, I'm not most proud of being a world champion. I'm, I'm most proud of, of what I accomplished in my career is fighting some of the best fighters mm. when, when they were good as well. Mm. So that's what I was, or trying to anyway, that was the, that was what I was most proud of. And then really what my favorite memories are actually nothing to do with that either. Really? My favorite memories are like the journey I went on with my training partners, man, and some of my best friends I've made and, and my coaches and the lessons I learned and uh, met my partner through, through what I do. But um, I think I definitely notice within maybe within boxers or with higher level athletes and or not sports where there's a lot more money and prestige in it seems like that they can't let go of that and um but potentially it's just a personal thing again with mm -hmm. them like some world champions move on quite 
very well and they go on to develop different businesses and things mm. like that. But I think some boxers kind of always have that thing where they speak about their heyday and when I was in my prime. And, um, and I think it's just very sad, really. Because we're humans, man. You were capable of doing lots of things at whatever age in life. Yeah. But I think the limitations we place upon ourselves and getting stuck in that and um, <clears throat> moving on from those things is takes it takes some work and some people just aren't willing or don't want to to do yeah. that work. I think there's a, a question there around identity and and you you talked about identity. It made me think of of how some people would describe identity as a social phenomenon and. A, you know, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who was really young and came into a lot of fame and was recognized for doing something at a really high level. And then that is taken away from them by the passage of time, you know? And so it, I could imagine it is difficult to try and reform that identity when, Mm -hmm. you know, it's all happening so publicly like I, I kind of always thought that about footballers. It all mm. happens so early, you know, like a footballer's life is over at 40. And you're mm. like, what? But then to go from, you know, performing in a stadium with people chanting your name and all this kind of stuff to, to doing something else. Like, yeah, I, I, I've never done a, I've never experienced a transition like that. But yeah, yeah, I can yeah. imagine it being really big. Yeah, I think like just thinking about the differences with football and fight sports would be like the money that there's there in football and then the the fame and the, and the amount of um, media coverage. And then especially when these footballers make it and they're so young, they haven't really formed their characters and identities and they haven't really learned their life lessons before they get hit with all of that. And then the, like a lot, of, a lot of the footballers and the, the women and the cars and financial investments and stuff it's just this none of that is like clued up yeah um, whereas with most fight sports um you have to work very very hard before you can start making much money and it doesn't hit you that young um there are some there are some good fighters but in a in thai boxing for example no one's making life-changing money um so we don't have the same amount of stuff to deal with like don't have the same amount of of, of pressures and things to manage and uh, mm. things that could potentially influence you and change you and change your character and the amount of people around you. And um, it's not the same, probably not the same scale of pressure to go um, on, on your, on your character. I wonder if there might be an element of the training to be a fighter leading to some kind of, changes in character whereas the chain the training to be a footballer might not involve i don't maybe maybe that's doing them a disservice actually because i suppose there, there would be long hours and you would have to get up early and mm-hmm. i don't know but yeah that's kind of a half-formed thought for you there i don't know yeah i think like i'd say i'd say the physical um physical element of fight sports and combat sports about being hit and being humbled by being hit like with, with football, I'm sure you there's like heart heavy challenges and things like that. But and they are uh, no doubt that it's so much more competitive as well that you've got to be super talented and super driven to make it in football. But I think with fight sports, you're all, you're never going to be the like when you first start, you're always going to get humbled and beaten up and yeah. physically beaten up and physically dominated and beaten by somebody. So you and you you have to come back from that and build yourself up. Whereas maybe in football because you don't have the same level of like, 
physically losing or being hurt or mm. um, that doesn't humble you in the same way. Yeah. Like you might lose a game, but it doesn't, it doesn't hit you the same way and, and form like that. So maybe that, that's a big part of um, humility and discipline within mm. um, some martial arts anyway, that I think is lacking in, in football. Yeah. If you were to lose a game of football to a better um, team, you can walk away and still have an ego and things like that. But if you lose a fight against a better fighter, you, you got humbled down, man. Yeah. Mm. You've been beaten and it's fair and square and it's physically beaten. You, that you feel that loss in the, in the greater sense. I suppose there's a distinction between a team and individual, uh, exercise. I, so as part of training to be, uh, an educational psychologist, you have to do um, a doctoral thesis. And I was up a Welsh, no, it was a hill in Devon. And my partner was basically holding me into account on what I was planning to do my thesis on. Because at the time I was thinking about doing it, I was thinking about how ed sites could support teachers training. Uh, like when they're first starting out, whether there might be a role there. And, um, I thought that was cool, but she basically was like, yeah, but do you really love it? And I ended up doing my thesis, um, exploring the experiences of young people taking part in a boxing intervention in East London. And one of, I did a pilot kind of just getting, really getting to know the young people, but also kind of working out where to start with my questions for interviews, because there isn't much research like that from a psychological perspective into martial arts really it's all kind of either into aggression or into head trauma mm -hmm. <laughs> and um mm -hmm. and that's it really and um one of the things that came out of the pilot was this sense that maybe boxing is different from other sports and actually what was quite interesting to me and maybe a bit disappointing is in the main research that didn't really resonate with the people that took part and i didn't really get much information about it but it's it's something that you've made me think of that there might be a distinction between combat sports and other sports. Mm -hmm. And I kind of see how that could happen because there's also an element in terms of the training process of you, you simulate that violence and there has to be a kind of a level of trust with your training partners that I don't feel like I would see in, in other sports. Mm -hmm. you know? <clears throat> I was just thinking while you were saying that about um, boxing and uh, boxing and then martial arts. And I think there's a difference even between them. Um, so there's a difference between like combat sports and non-contact. But I think, uh, again, I, I'm speaking a little bit. I haven't trained in that many boxing gyms to a greater extent, but from what I understand, because there is the potential to earn a lot of money within boxing, some people, there's, I think, compared to martial arts, where not many people start martial arts to make money, to have mm. a... A career but some boxers will definitely look to turn pro and look to make millions because they have those role models like Floyd Money Mayweather and Eaton people are making big sums but I think in boxing gyms there is a little bit more ego because of that and also the, um, the culture is quite slightly different so in, in most martial arts gyms it's changing slightly now but in, in the traditional Thai gyms you, you don't really train outside of your gym 
um, or very rarely, whereas um, maybe the influence of MMA now, where people training in different places. Mm. So because it's very much within the same gym and you train with the same training partners, it's very respectful. You're not going to knock out your training partner in, in sparring. Whereas um, or, or most, the vast majority of gyms won't really have that as part of their culture. It's quite playful sparring in Thailand. Whereas I think as far as I understand, I might be wrong, but I think in boxing gyms, you, you spar with training partners in your gym, but you often travel to other gyms. And then it's not really light sparring. It's like heavy sparring. It's like fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Fighting to a different name. Yeah. Yeah. It, you kind of travel there, you fight, and it's not so much love loss uh, like between between your, your sparring partners. And it's much more, even within the same gym, sometimes there's different coaches that have different guys and they're building them up and it's very, very, very competitive and everyone's trying to get to the top and it's less teamwork and less love around it there. Mm. Um, so I think there's a difference between even boxing gyms and, and, and martial arts gyms. But I think the, uh, I've often wondered about Thai boxing, like the sport that I did for so long. And I used to really struggle sometimes because I'd be fighting for like peanuts man most of like you fight for free for ages or you even pay to fight for ages Mm. then you fight for free and then you fight for meager sums and then even like world title fights were very very like laughable money sometimes I tell clients how much I was earning and they're just shocked but I do wonder if there was a lot more money in the sport how that would change it how that would change the way that people practice it and Mm. how that would change the respect even in the ring. So if there was mon- more money, so like I remember I fought in America once and uh, when I fought there, it was you get paid, um, say, $5,000. It was much less than that. You get paid $2,000. Mm-hmm. And if you win, you get an extra two. So that would double double your amount. And I think UFC does a lot of that as well. Yeah, win bonuses. Yeah. And then um, it's not really done in Thai boxing. But if it was, I think how how would that change the mm. how would that change the respect at the end of the fight? So if it's a close decision, would they still be respectful towards each other, or would they be? And I suppose there's something there that I that I'm quite curious about, um, and you might be able to provide some insight into is like the difference between Thai boxing practiced in Thailand compared to. Um, you know, in this case, England, and whether there is a kind of a dilution of, of culture or like an aspiration to, to have a certain um, emulation of culture. So we're just to explain to people listening, there there might be some people walking past this part of it. It's all good. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the different, like, the difference is, because um, I, uh, I lived in Thailand for a little bit of um, my gap year before studying, mm. and um, it took me quite a while to fully... I understand the the culture, not Thai culture. That's I've still got a long way to go with that, but understand the Thai boxing culture. And um, it's, so it is very different. It's not so much about winning or losing. It's about just doing it and learning. So there's not so much emphasis pre- like placed on, on winning. And if you lose, you're not, it's not the end of the world. Whereas we, we big, we sort of make it into such a big event over here. And it's such a psychological win or loss is everything and if you lose you, you should be like in feeling terrible and if you win it's the greatest thing ever whereas in Thailand even in the training as well it's like don't worry about I remember we, we in the clinch in Thai boxing they're very very strong in Thailand when I first started I was 
not very good. Um, or when I lived in Thailand, I was not very good. So I was getting thrown around by these like 12 year old boys. <laughs> and it was like super humbling, man. It was wicked. But I remember like sort of being cautious in the clinch, trying not to get thrown. And they were like, listen, man, just go for it. Just learn. The more times you fall and get back up, the quicker you'll learn. Yeah. And it's like that in, in, in the fighting as well. Um, they encourage, they encourage a lot of the, that's why they have such high records and high numbers of fights. Mm. And why a lot of the best fighters in Thailand will fight each other like repeatedly because it's not always about protecting your win record. It's about like going in there and, and, and learning and, and developing. Yeah. Um, and, and just fighting. Whereas in the West, because we are doing it out of passion rather than making money and it's much more focused on the winning element. It's much more focused on building up a record and remaining undefeated and, it's much more ego driven, like mm. no man has beaten me or no person has beaten me. I'm going to beat this person. It becomes more of a, uh, a personal thing between fighters. And, um, yeah. So that, I think that's part of the difference there. Anyway. Yeah. I'm, I've always been struck by your social media posts on the things around. Uh, physical training and, and things like that. So I feel like you talk about masculinity and, and body image and, and things like that. And I've always found that quite uh, useful personally, but also just interesting that you, you know, that's something that you feel like you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. I suppose I wonder where that comes from, that kind of, uh, it seems like you're, you know, you're walking through life with your head up, you know, and you're, you're taking things in. Uh, thanks, man. I'm definitely trying, trying anyway. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it stems from, um, basically not being physically that gifted, like, like training with my, my good friends. Like I was never the fastest, the strongest, um, the most powerful or explosive. So physically I wasn't that gifted. I had, had quite a good, um, mind that I could apply to my training and I had to do, well, not didn't have to do, but I used a lot of um, other techniques that I learned along the way. So I was lucky enough to to have some great coaches, and one of them, um, like technical coaches, but also like it taught me a lot psychologically. So mm. my coach David was a NLP uh, master practitioner. So that branch of psychology taught me a lot about the language you use and you speak and you think. And then I read a few books along that area, and then. My mum was a big influence because she was um, a psychotherapist. So I suppose without directly influencing me, she always had that element of, well, I was quite curious about what she did in this whole world. Yeah. And it is a whole different world of healers. And so like, it's pretty like, especially from sort of the environment I grew up in, I wasn't ready to delve into that too deeply. Um, Cause I can't go to school. Like, where if you turned up with the wrong trainers, you get bullied. And then we're talking about, oh yeah, I've done this new like transcendental meditation and it's really brought up some deep stuff, guys. Like, <laughs> you, you can't be uh, uh, doing Let's that. put the nights to one side and just talk yeah, about Yeah, yeah it's true. Um, but that, that was a big influence as well. So I've, I was often like probably trying to understand uh, a lot of things within myself and others. And I think... Then also a massive influence for me was uh, going to the London Buddhist Centre, which was about five minute walk from the gym. Yes, industrial green. Yeah, yeah. So I used to go there um, 
uh, out of curiosity from about 18. So I used to go there quite a few times a week sometimes, and especially on the run up towards fights, I'd go to a lot of the meditation classes. And then after a few years, I started going on a, on a few retreats, um, some of the, the passenger retreats that they run. And um, that, that definitely took my interest into um, meditation and Buddhist ethics and Buddhist culture. And then also just the reflections upon the way that my mind would work. Mm. And, and then with that, and then thinking about being in this extreme sort of, I was definitely doing some extremes, extreme level of training and pushing myself and striving to achieve. And then with fighting at a high level, there was um, cutting weight and putting your body and your health on the, on the line a lot of times. And it was, it was a lot of extremes. And um, while I was on that sort of trajectory to try and be the best I could be, I didn't really never stood back and watched or understood the mechanisms or the, the things in within me that were ingrained to lead into that mm. until I um, accumulated in like having a, it's going to fight in, in lion fight on our promotions in Connecticut, like near New York. And um, I failed a MRI scan with a, with a brain injury. And um, then that forced me to take a step back and I started to sort of really um, understand why I was doing the things I was doing and, started to sort of unpick all the habits that I'd shunned to one side while I was just plowing on and mm. sticking my head down and trying to be the best Thai boxer or fighter I could be. Mm. So, um, yeah, accumulate, like it was a accumulation of, of those kind of influences, which gave me a different pr- pr- perspective on things and tried to understand things. And I think while I was working through each of those areas, um, I would talk like I, it was probably coming up in my social media posts. So mm-hmm. like masculinity, I remember I went on this meditation retreat. Um, it was a pastor which had a lot of silence and I thought, Oh, I'm going to think about what I want to do with my career with Thai boxing, with fighting, what I want to do afterwards, how long I want to do it for. And actually I went there and like loads of ra- like not random, but loads of stuff came up from the school upbringing I had. Like there was a lot of, I definitely had a lot of homophobia and homophobic issues that came up and I, I, I never really realized were there because growing up in such a homophobic environment and I had to deal with that because it um, didn't sit well with me and wanted to understand that. And then um, trying to also understand like what happened within my schooling and, and the, it was like got bullied a bit and, and being a, it was a very mixed culture, cultural school and being like a white middle-class boy going to that school trying to, I played football and so I used to hang out with a lot of the kids who were a bit more working class and they grew up in different environments and I, I was just, um, yeah, definitely like it was a, trying to understand and gain greater understanding of all of that with in terms of masculinity as well. Um, that was super interesting and then um, through weight cutting, that gave me a bit of an eating disorder, essentially. Mm. Definitely, mm. definitely did. Um, like over the years, uh, I fought at the same weight pretty much my whole career, but I got a lot bigger as yeah, I grew your frame's going to get bigger. Yeah. yeah. And I put on muscle mass, but stayed at the same weight, but was doing these weight cuts that when, when you, when you cut weight, um, or you diet extremely and you still perform like, so you're not just dieting at a leisurely pace, but you're dieting because you have to be a certain weight on a certain day and you still have to train really hard. 
it's um that is a one it's the hardest thing I probably have ever done actually um in the sense that it pushes your mind and your emotions and your sensitivity to a different state like training hard and fighting and and getting cuts and all the pain the physical pain is one thing but the the deprivation from saying no in a society where you can access any food at any time and like turning up to social gatherings and like passing or things and and then um even the last bit of dehydration and water that that was a that was a different ball game man it makes you appreciate why there's life on this planet man like mm. water is the golden elixir of life man. and then mm. uh um i think i i know during Ramadan, Muslims fast. And I think it is a wonderful practice to do. I know it's probably not the best thing for your health. Maybe today, I like, I probably shouldn't say too much about that, but it's um, potentially it's not the greatest for your health to go without water all day. But at the same time, to go without, like many people do around the world, it humbles you, man. And it that was, that was tough, super tough. But it ended up giving me a bit of an eating disorder. So I had to sort of unpick that and work through that as well. And my girlfriend was super helpful and really beneficial and influential for me to, to learn about that, learning the things about like being honest with yourself and, and starting to develop more love and cultivate, cultivate more compassion towards myself, which was never any room for in the Thai boxing gym. You couldn't perform badly and be like, oh, it's okay because you've had a hard day, you've had a tough week. It was like, no, nothing was good enough. You need to perform better next time. And that's what drove me and strove me on. But, um, so there's a lot of, I think a lot of um, issues that came up from striving to be so good mm. that then took a while to unpick and understand and then be at peace with and also let go. Because I could, like a lot of boxers and fighters, when they cut a lot of weight and stuff, they, they still seesaw and they get overweight when they stop fighting. So there's that. And then a lot of them, like we just spoke about earlier, still talk about their prime and their heyday when they, yeah. were, the, they were the alpha, they were the person everyone wanted to be around. And so I think it does take work on doing it and it does take um, leaving the comfort zone and being uncomfortable to, to get back from it. But yeah, I'm glad other people have found those social media posts uh, enjoyable or beneficial anyway. I suppose there's, there's a funny thing about social media where you, you know, you put it out, but you're not always sure who's seeing it. Mm -hmm. And so you don't always get the feedback of that ripple effect. So yeah, that is, that is funny. Well, it's nice to be able to say thank you in person at least. Oh, cheers, man. Um, Thanks, yeah. You made me think of after the research I did in East London, I kind of came away with this half formed thought about this kind of dichotomy between the warrior mindset and the compassionate mindset. And the place that that came from was the young people got so much out of the boxing intervention. And one of the things that they really described and the coaches really described as well was this kind of you know, never say die attitude. We're going to attack life. We're going to win. We're going to become champions in life. And that felt really profound because for a lot of these young people, actually, they didn't feel like that was an option for them to, you know, become champions at life. That's kind of a quote, a direct quote, but I'll honor the quote and I'll use it. Mm. And, um, and I was like, yeah, this is really useful for them. But I also felt like it, it might only take them so far in terms of, you know, what happens when 
you can't be the champion or what happens if you can't be the champion all the time or you know what happens if something in terms of life experiences you know is happens to you and then you can't perform at your best you know and then I, it got me thinking about you know is there a place for compassion there and um coincidentally since then i've discovered a, a branch of psychology which is called compassion focused therapy and it breaks down these three kind of uh umbrellas for the processes we have psychologically and there's a uh, threat which is describes things like anger and anxiety and then there's drive which um describes things like the desire to acquire resources you know be that food or or money or whatever and um also the pleasure that you feel at accomplishing things and then there's soothe which kind of describes the way in which we might be able to rest and and recover and take mm-hmm. pleasure in that and as soon as i started reading about it i thought this really sums up better what i was trying to get at with the mm. with the compassionate mindset and warrior mindset but i think mm. it kind of links to what you're saying because <clears throat> the way you described the the mindset you were in in terms of your training it was like so much drive like mm. i need to i need to achieve this and i'll take pleasure when i achieve this and i'm kind of imagining there might also have been some anxiety in there in terms of like well what happens if i don't mm. dot 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 um and now you're talking a bit about compassion and, mm. and, uh, and that links to soothe. So it, mm. yeah, it, it, that, that's what you made me think of there. Mm. Yeah. Look, I think there's loads in there, man. I think initially when you were speaking about the, the kids and the uh, champion of life and mm. warrior mindset, like I, I think it's, I think that's brilliant. And I, I read a really influential book a while, like a few years ago, um, Shambhala, the way of the warrior. And it changed my perspective of what it is to be a warrior. And um, <clears throat> I think we often think about the warrior being victorious in the ring or in the battlefield or on uh-huh. the pitch or the job or finance. And I think um, this book changed it in like uh, being a warrior. It doesn't mean you can't be compassionate. It doesn't mean you can't be that. It's, it's about honoring your house, honoring your friends, your loved ones, being there for your partner, being there for your family. Um, a warrior would be humble and, and respectful and loving and compassionate and strong when needed to be. So it, it encompasses all of that. And that, that book just gave me a much greater perspective. And then I would try to try to embody that a lot more within times when uh, I'm, say, for example, uh, to visit my partner's family in, in California. And then I was had jet lag and I was eating bad food at the time, like bad food in the sense of, stuff that look like sugar and fats or whatever that just doesn't put you in the best mental frame and then I wasn't meditating as well so I didn't have my sort of pillars of daily routine that um puts me into a um, not puts me but that helped me be in a good mental space and so I was struggling a bit anxious a bit this and that and whatever it was but um I think in those kind of situations where things get hard and maybe your mental health is challenging or stressed or anxious or whatever I think then coming back to that being a champion, what would a champion do? What would a warrior do? All right. That, and also redefining what that is as well. All right, a champion just wouldn't go out running and whatever at 4am in the morning, yeah. they would get up and they'd make sure their partner's cared for and feeling good and feeling loved. And then 
they do what they need to do and then they look after themselves and like a warrior honors themselves, their home, their loved ones in there. And then when they need to be fierce and they need to fight and need to protect, then you can do that as well. But I think having that in different parts of life, but then going on to um, the soothing element is still something I'm working on, to be honest. I think a lot of people are. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely. Um, again, I need, it does need more work there, man, to say, um, I think I've trying to unpick at the moment, like, my work ethic so um because i had i was i was mad driven for the fighting yeah. and i'm think back about how tired i used to be sometimes there was a, about a year and a half where i was living really far from the gym and i was working hard and girlfriend was working as a waitress at the time so she was up late so to see her i spend i stay up later so i was getting about four to five hours sleep a night for a couple of years or a year and a half at least and i used to walk around like a zombie but i still train like a beast like train like an animal and i was still putting in long shifts and it was it was stupid it was not a very efficient way um but that level of drive and also especially during the weight cuts when i was eating barely anything and um pushing myself was all mental power it did a lot of damage with like eating disorders and probably like potentially adrenal fatigue and all this stuff like messing up my system and it wasn't good in the long run but that level of drive sort of now needs to re- be changed but mm. I still have a very high work ethic I still work a lot and um, trying to unpick that and learn how to soothe and learn how to take time off and it'd be fine and not feel guilty and learn how to prioritise rest like I prioritise physical rest when I was training but prioritise mental rest and prioritise these things are, are, are different so I think yeah that all those elements that you spoke about about um, the branch of psychology it is super interesting I was listening to Firaz Sahabi talking about how he prepares people for fights and he kind of he broke down I think he broke down three aspects and so there was the the physical the technical and the strategic and I heard him say that and I just felt like there was a glaring omission in terms of, yeah, but what about the psychological? Um, I suppose you have experience of that as someone who used to be a fighter, but you also have experience of that as someone who trains people uh, and coaches. And I wonder what your view on that is in terms of whether psychological preparation is necessary or how you, yeah, how you would relate to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, well, personally for me, psychological preparation or the mind is our most powerful tool, it's most powerful weapon. So that that's the way I look at things. And then I think it's now, it's very personal to other fighters as well. So um, I had to, to my main coach, um, I started with like Bill Judd. He was very old school in that like, there, it wasn't really, he did talk a bit about the mind, but he just had, he was a fighter who had a very tough mentality towards it. And, um, you get in there and the way that he viewed fighting was you get in there and it was you versus them. And if you were fighting to the death, it was you versus them. <laughs> like if you, you describe it, if you're walking down a dark alley and only one of you's coming out, that's what it's like when you're, when you're fighting. Whereas my other coach, David, um, he had a, a 
different viewpoint and it was he used lots of psychological techniques even before he did his NLP training just naturally he was like that and then now as a coach myself I see it in people some people don't need any they don't need to learn how to fight like not physically technically they don't need to learn how to just keep coming keep reversing never give up never quit they've got no problem doing that and they'll give their 100% and they, they probably need technical aspects of their game improving whereas some people they have their hot and cold some people they they turn up and they perform well they have a bad day their mind's not there they don't listen to instructions things like that so it, it's dependent on the on the person and you can gauge that quite quickly but um, for me it, it's it was a learning process as well so for example, I used to play football uh, as a teenager and I was played in defence and it was all about not letting the other team score. So that was like need to avoid failure. So yeah. I was trying not to lose. And then I started fighting and I was trying not to lose in the ring or whatever. I was like, this is not going to work, man. Like fighting on the back foot or trying not to lose the whole time is not an effective way to do it. And I used to have some some of the friends and some of our colleagues at the gym and who were fighting and they would go out there with such ferocity and will to ring and desire that it was super like inspiring man and watching them I was like I want to be like them I want to mm. and then that that was then I started to shift my mentality and while I was at university as well I'd started university just trying to get a decent grade and then about a year and a bit in I was like actually like I'm, I could get a first I never thought I never intended of doing that and it just wasn't inbred in me. Maybe it was the public school instead of like a private school where they would be like, everyone's going to get first. That's what's expected. Mm. It was kind of like, if you got your five A to C's in, in my school, you were good and they ticked their box and they were happy. Yeah. So no one was trying to excel. It wasn't that kind of environment. Whereas um, in the gym, you, you've got to excel. You've got to be the best fighter on the show. And you've got to try to strive for that, which then led on to that mad drive like mm-hmm. willing to win and led on to that crazy drive that push yourself, try to be the best in the world and that dedication and stuff, which then led on to a lot of unhealthy habits that needed unpicking and stuff. So I think maybe going back to what we talked about earlier with fighters who still view themselves as fighters, even though they've retired a long time ago, mm-hmm. I think maybe they developed such strong drives that they never unpicked it and did the healing necessary because to be a balanced human i think well to be a balanced healthy happy and things like that you probably don't need that drive isn't coming from essentially a healthy place yeah i think i i really hear that it makes me it reminds me of the point you made about working with people from corporate settings and i suppose when i talk to people that don't know much about um physical training i think that there's often some confusion because they would see a high pressure job and they'd be like, well, that's really stressful. Why would you then want to go and put yourself through something that's really physically hard? But I suppose there are definitely benefits. So how do you kind of see yourself um, helping those, those people you work with? Yeah. Physical training is is the tool. Like, like like I said at the very start, really, like my job as a as a coach and, and personal trainer, those are just the, the tools I have and the skill set I have. If I had a psychology degree and had as much knowledge about psychology with you, I, I would use that as well. Mm. So 
my tool is is the physical element of training and through that i can reach people mentally so we use um physical training of thai boxing to like help people access their power and reconnect with that because when you're sitting at a desk and and you're working so much mentally it's um that power is all, is all in the mind and things like that whereas if you standing and you're grounding yourself through the floor and you're bringing your energies down through your mind down into your feet and like the chakras and stuff is going down and it's grounding it can be very calming and it can be very soothing and then you're producing force on the pads and you're feeling your own power and you're making noise and you're sweating and it's much more physical and primal way of being powerful and everybody has that like i think i I really enjoy coaching and i used used to coach ucl university club and we get all these like young kids coming in and skinny and small people, small women, like small guy, whatever, all kinds of shapes. And then it was great teaching everybody that you can be strong, you can Mm. be powerful, you know how to use your body effectively. And then it was awesome seeing the looks on people's faces when they throw a good cross or a good kick and they're like, and it hits that sweet spot where they get loads of force through it. And they're like, whoa, I can do that. Mm. Because usually the misconception is everyone's got to have big muscles and you really like, be hench in order to hit hard but it's um it's cool training people how to hit hard and, and same on these corporate workshops so they learn that element of it and then then i talked through a lot of the psychological strategies and techniques that helped me along the way like um focusing on my breath like the power of the now the book like eckhart told a book um, had a massive influence on me and power of the subconscious mind and the nlp techniques and then we talked through that and then um, what would help me through different stages of training. So when it was really up against it and I was super tired, how would I wake up and motivate myself? How do you do it when you're exhausted and you're ready to go? Like reconnecting with your end goal, reconnecting mm. with the purpose, reconnecting with if it's a purpose for you in there or is it connecting for others and you're doing this for others in the long term. And, and then how to stay calm and, and breath work with that and then how to probably did this a little bit too late with me, but how to develop a bit more um, or cultivate cultivate a little bit more love and kindness for other people and how that then takes you out of tunnel vision and stops you striving for like a great career in fighting or a great career in the office, but not maintaining a relationship with your partner or your kids or your family and stuff. So um, we do this all through like the physical training and then speaking between it, a bit of training, a bit of training, mm. speaking. So it's a, it's a, it's a wicked, um, it's a really enjoyable experience. And every time I coach a workshop, it's fantastic because it also slams home to me the power of what I used to do, but also to reinforce my own habits in doing so. And because I'm very, like, very much about authenticity and living, practicing what you preach. Mm. So, say, so, uh, being a sports coach, I still think I want to, or being a Thai boxing coach, I still need to train mm. to be fit and to be well rather than, and same with these people, I um, still need to live my truth and live my values. And same with everything we've spoken about. Um, well, if you talk about being a warrior and being respectful and honest and humble, that's cool. But then if you see, you see me out getting pissed and like cheating on my missus and, talking bad about people, then those are breaking those codes. And um, that's not part of the life. So it's a whole encompassing life. And I think it's amazing how all this stemmed for, for me, it all stemmed from martial arts and the people I met through martial arts. So even though I didn't make a lot of money while I was fighting, the 
me enriched my life massively. Like, mm. I, I noticed something that I want to check with you, which I think. So you, you just talked about how when you work with your clients, there's a, there's almost like there's a holistic nature to it, but it, the physical, the physical training is, is kind of the starting point, but you know, then you get into psychological elements, well-being elements, maybe also thinking about values uh, or societal elements in terms of you, how do you want to, what's your place in terms of how you want to be in the world? And what I wanted to check with you is I wonder how that connects with your own journey because it seems like you started the physical thing first and then you also developed those kind of peripheral holistic aspects afterwards. Um, but part of me wonders how possible it is to kind of enter into wanting to be a better person from any of those avenues mm -hmm. uh, and you kind of add in the extra bits. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think, I think probably with, with myself, I think it was much, um, like you said, I started with the physical and then the psychological elements helped, helped me achieve what I did. And then, um, it probably the martial arts ethics and ethos of when, when I was coming up, someone took me under their wing, David took me under his wing while he was still fighting and taught me stuff. And then it's a chain, the knowledge is a, is a chain and you pass that down to the next person coming up. And if you break that chain, you're, you're breaking the ethos and the knowledge isn't getting passed down. Um, so that passing down of knowledge and trying to help the next person coming up, um, being ingrained from as soon as I started training, because my main coach Bill was really good at like stamping that out. If he saw someone like, say, you help me one day and I'd, some guy asked me for help another day and I say, no, no, sorry, I don't have time. He'd be on to that, man. Mm -hmm. So I think that willingness to help and improve others um, has always been there. But my own journey, I think, is about trying to understand what, like, what makes me most happy. And I think helping people and having an impact, and I think that's a millennial thing, isn't it? Like it's a millennial generation. Um, main goal is trying to have a bigger impact out there and, and improve other people's lives from what I've learned and been lucky enough to learn and been fortunate enough to learn from others and from the experiences I've had and stuff. So um, my own journey, I think, would be very much, this is a sort of chapter of it. Like I had a the school chapter and then the Thai boxing chapter and then this is, this is kind of a, trying to acquire some more skill sets before I can then go into the next chapter. And I see the corporate workshops. It's, it's fantastic. It's, it helps people and stuff. But they're cool, man. They're making big money. They, they don't really, they don't really, their life's all right. They can just improve it in a more mm. sustainable way. But um, I'm going to try and make enough money from those corporate workshops so where I can then come back and, in another way and give back some more community projects or being involved like you do with some more school stuff and mm. working with younger people or people who would benefit most from the um, physical and psychological techniques that helped me as a, as a fighter and, or trying to become that uh, warrior in life, trying to become that champion mm. in life. 
So, but for other people, I think entering into that, um, that's a good point. Like some people stick in the psychological realms. Eh? Like it seems like I say my mum, for example, with her therapy training and uh, unpicking her, her deep, whatever she had from childhood and stuff and a lot of therapists and the wounded healers out there. And some people stick purely to psychological and some people stick purely to physical. So they have what works for them when they go to the gym and, Men typically have like a set routine of training and stick to that from when they start training to when they stop. But, um, I think there's definitely different avenues, but it's often it's, it's good luck. Like if you're lucky enough to meet an inspiring teacher of any kind, like I think martial arts often it's like, which martial arts better? My martial arts better than yours, but it's none of that. It's just, if it's taught correctly, it's all the same thing. Mm. Mm. It's all, it's all movement and yeah. So I think if you're inspiring enough to reach a good, have a good lecturer or teacher or friend or some, anyone, um, some people it's religion, spiritual practice or yoga or whatever. And it seems like in our society now in big cities like London, where we're kind of crying out and we're craving that, craving more uh, depth. And we're doing it in funny ways, like all these like high intensity hit classes in boutique gyms are people like craving arousal levels and craving that excitement, craving hit a healthiness and in cycle, the spin studio they do and soul cycle in America. They talk about, about spirituality while there's music pumping in a room full of lights, other people bouncing up and down on bikes. It's like, mm. it's the opposite. It's, a, it's like an oxymoron. Like, mm. um, but it's good. It's good that it, anyway, in any form that it gets in it through and it seeps in, it's good. I, yeah, I hear that, and I think that there's definitely something there in terms of that might be someone's gateway. Mm. You know, doing a hit class might be someone's gateway to something else. Mm. But there is something interesting there for me around the fact that people want like a impactful small dose answer of for something. You know, whether mm. that's uh, reconnecting with their body or you know if I do X number of hip classes I'm going to be healthy physically mm-hmm. or you know whatever it is um, there is something about the hip movement that I find a bit uncomfortable because I think that there it, it's so schedulable you know and I think that, that I, I worry sometimes that that makes leads people into a place where they feel like if they just show up for that time and then they then they leave that's going to be all right and you know i see a trend in society generally where we are maybe being fed a a description of improved life standards and actually what we're getting is uh increased convenience Mm -hmm. and you know i think hip classes are quite convenient on a practical level i am I also am a bit concerned about them because there's no time for the development of a relationship with your coach in the Mm -hmm. same way or to learn technique. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen certain hit classes like you've described, you know, there's music, there's lights Mm -hmm. and that's cool. Yeah. I've I've been in, I've been in sessions like that. I'm like, wow, this is really like exciting. But equally, if people are trying to learn how to use weights or, Mm -hmm. you know, use a bike or whatever it is, I feel like it's geared towards injury because you're in the dark and you're getting tired because you're pushing yourself hard and you might not have seen the instruction properly because it's strobe lighting and mm. 
yeah, so I do kind of, I wonder if that's the right tool for the end that we're talking about. Mm. Um, yeah, the fitness industry is a bit of a madness. It's a bit of a madness, like in the sense that we're painted or people have sold the dream that if you come to these hit classes, you're going to be muscular and, and for, for, for men, you're going to be that Adonis muscular and shredded and for women, you're going to be lean and toned and stuff. And you do that in a very short space of time in an intense environment. But all the trainers in these environments, they their training doesn't really involve much hit training. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So like at the gym I work at now, my man are, um, kind of have the opposite approach in that we're trying to teach people that there's no shortcuts. It's not a quick fix and it's not a shortcut. It's, it's like hard work and it can be hard work and it has to just be consistent over a long period of time. And there is no shortcuts, but it's not the answer people are looking for. Like, well, if there's an easy way, we'll always go for that. And I think we're always searching for that easy way and we're willing to try and fitness industry and the boutique fitness industry as well. It's always often changing. It's about the new coolest thing and new coolest trends. And with, um, in terms of people uh, and their development and reaching, building skills or reaching deeper planes of development, like it was a great analogy that I heard once, which was from one of the teachers at the Buddhist Center, which was about if you want a bucket of water and you take your, your bucket of water and a rope and you go place it up like halfway down six different wells, you're not going to get any water. If you place the bucket and you let, go, let it go all the way to the bottom down one well, so if you pick one thing and you devote yourself enough to it, you kind of have to go deep into one thing to actually fully understand and get the benefits from it. So it can be anything. Like I've spoken to a lot of different athletes and lucky enough to work alongside some great trainers who come from different backgrounds. So one of the guys, Ben John, is a rug, ex-rugby and speaking to him about his training and his practice and his mindset towards it is so similar. I could be talking to a fighter mm another power lifter down there and I speak to him and it could be talking again it doesn't matter what the sport is but it's the, it's the same level of devotion and they learn this in, the, in order to try and get the best out of themselves they develop themselves so much in other areas it's not about how them, their muscles and their, their, their physical being mm. it's about their mind and developing that and their attitude towards training um, so that like it makes me sad when I see people come in and they just come trying to tone up and lose weight because they, that's probably like the worst attitude to have. If you're like, I want to be here because I want to be fit and healthy and well, or I want to be here because I enjoy it. I want to be here because I'm enjoying this sport or I want to be here because I like the community here. You're going to keep coming and you will look like it and you will start to change the way you appear. And mm. it's just more, it's a healthier attitude and mindset. There's a lovely sentiment there that maybe for some people they enter a particular discipline and they want to be eventually they decide they want to be the best at it and on that journey they nudge their trajectory slightly and it becomes less about being the best at it and more about being the best person mm. and you and you so you kind of expand to oh how can I have the right attitude or how can I be nicer to people? How can I be more fulfilled? And that, you know, I feel like for some, for some people that, that won't happen, but for some people it does. And that, that's quite a powerful thing. Mm, massively. Yeah. Massively. Mm. Yeah. I think 
yeah, definitely starting off trying to be the best um, probably doesn't come from the healthiest place. But in order to get there, you can't, you kind of need to become a lot more well-rounded, become a lot healthier and mm-hmm. work with people around you. And you, and you learn so much skills along the way that by the time that you, you are achieving what you set out to achieve, you're a different person and uh, you've acquired different skill sets and character traits. And, mm-hmm. and um, that's just sport and the physical realms. Whereas I'm sure, you know, a lot more people within the psycho- like psychological training and, um, and that kind of world where they've reached the same states and cultivated the same emotions and compassion and empathy and, and all these qualities without having to ever exercise. Mm. Would you say that's... Yeah, I wonder. I, that's where I'm at with it. I wonder. Mm. I need to think about that a bit more. Mm. I don't know. I feel like, mate, probably what it is is that in the same way that some people that engage in physical disciplines don't ever reach the point of... I want to branch out and become a more well-rounded person. Mm-hmm. Some people in psychological, intellectual disciplines don't reach that point either. I feel, I mean, may- maybe what the elephant in the room is for both examples is is people being egotistical. They don't get past that. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. No, that's true. One of my clients is doing a, a PhD and she talks a lot about uh, Kings about the other people in the department, and um, like he said, there's quite. A, she says there's quite a lot of egos, mm. and and um, kind of look past the physical realm or turn, turn their noses up at that as something else. But there's so many examples of great minds, either great minds who exercise or great physical athletes who train. Like yeah, uh, Magnus Carlsen, the chess player, used to exercise every day, or Lomachenko who exercises his mind and has yeah. a mental coach so true yeah so is there anything that you want to kind of add in that we haven't covered or any thoughts you have or last kind of <laughs> things you'd like people to think about or um i think um no it's probably just Something that's probably just more of a reminder to myself as well is that to remain, um, to have that, that growth mindset and to remain very malleable and learning and just to remain, I think, yeah, to keep learning in from every experience and every step of the way and to, to not see ourselves as a finished product. Um, like this is what I try to remind myself and. Like being asked at the start of this was, well, how would you des- like describe what you do at the moment or what you've done? And I think um, just keep on reminding yourself that you're not some of what you've done or what you do. Um, you can constantly learn and improve and change. And I think that and having that mindset and taking it to whatever experience you're about to go into is, mm-hmm. is a beautiful thing. And when I meet people with those kind of mindsets and states, it, it's a wonderful thing and they're wonderful people to be around and they've, they've often accomplished a lot, but um, it's not an ego thing. It's not, I've done this, this and this. It's, yeah. They've accomplished a lot and they've met and they have a great group of friends and things like that. But I think, yeah, it's just probably more a reminder to myself and hopefully to other people is that we can develop all these things as long as we keep open-minded and uh, keep that growth mindset. And it will get you to where you want to go for now and 
and then seeing the bigger picture beyond that, like all our goals and dreams and things like that, there's, there's more, there's more to that as long as we keep that same mentality rather than just stopping. If I stopped when I was, won the world title and kept the same, uh, um, qualities and attitudes and stuff, it probably wouldn't have ended too well. Still be fighting. Who knows how that would have gone, but, um, whatever you do. Where can people hear more about you or find out more about you? Yeah, I still need to get onto the social media thing around. Uh, that's a, another interesting, interesting topic, really. I, it brings out um, a lot about myself and my attitude to that and my things like that. But um, on social media, I'm at Greg underscore Burton on Instagram. I used to do a lot more on Facebook, but not, not so much anymore. So mainly, mainly Instagram. Thanks, Greg. I enjoyed yeah, that. Yeah, thank you, man. Thanks. It's your time. Wowee. And so that was that. It was so brilliant to speak to Greg and to get his insights into the height of human performance and also the intricacies of mental health. Performance athlete, he really put himself into situations that meant he has quite a unique perspective on the different drivers we have within ourselves. So glad that we talked about more than just Thai boxing and fitness because there was a real richness to the conversation in other areas. I'm so, so excited to hear what you think. So do keep your comments flowing on social media, your feedback coming through over email. Share this with whoever you think would like it and let's keep this movement growing. This is all.